Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. Navy Federal is proud to serve over 8 million members, including active duty military, the DOD, veterans, and their families. You'll receive a lifetime of membership benefits with Navy Federal, and you can easily access accounts, transfer money, pay bills, and deposit checks with the Navy Federal mobile app. Visit NavyFederal.org slash watch for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app. Message and data rates may apply. Hey guys, before we get into this episode of The Watch, just wanted to let you know Watchmen was a sponsor on this episode. Obviously, that's uh, an unfortunate coincidence. Andy and I don't choose which ads to run on which episodes, but we've been talking about Watchmen for the entire season and we felt like we'd be remiss to not talk about this Monday. Sorry for the ethical inconvenience, I guess. Just note, we did not talk about English muffins today. That's right. And so think about that. Let's get into The Watch. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, catapulting clones into the sky, it's Andy Greenwald! Chris, we've been doing this podcast a long time. For a long time. I think we have a reputation for honesty and transparency. No, I know. We like to let people behind the curtain. And I think you calling this closet This isn't what I was talking about. A studio. Yeah. Is really we are really moving into it. a new studio soon. We're starting a new studio that has Listen. the Rogan mics, so you can move around a little bit. And I've already asked Kaya and Kate Hallowell to christen that studio the Chris Ryan Memorial Suite. R.I.P. I will <laughs> to die. A legend. Live free or die potting. <laughs> That's I, my whole thing. All I want is for footage of our podcast to look like. I bet Kaya would give a really cool eulogy for me. Do you think? She's just nodding right now. I think she has she has the tapes and the evidence. I'm just saying, if we're getting that new studio, which I haven't seen, I just want I want to look like Infowars on YouTube. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I want us to be. Like, I already basically do. I'm like 18 cheeseburgers away from feeling that way. You know what I mean? Here's what here's what I'm concerned about. And yes, we're going to talk about Watchmen. We're going to do some. Chris said we had some news pegs today. I have a new a new segment we're going to do this week. I'm so excited! I just want to say that I saw Chris socially on Friday. And he was talking about this podcast studio and he was talking about his new, just his new identity as a guy who stands up during podcasts and he was talking it up and he's like, it's beautiful. It's exciting. And I, and I got here today and I said, Kaya, help me out. I'm, I'm lost in a hallway. And she said, oh, we're in here. And I want you guys to understand something. I tweeted a picture of where we're sitting so people can check the tape. But it's quite nice in here. A lot of natural light. The table got smaller. Yes. So my concern (laughs) is that you... And Amanda Dobbins are recording better Thursday episodes of The Watch in the fancy studio. And I'm going to keep coming back here until there's literally a shoebox. Yes. Right. And then finally, I'll I'll just quit Who's the mouse who lives in the shoebox? In the children's story? Do you know? uh, The mouse in the motorcycle? Is that what you're talking about? But does he live in a shoebox? I mean, he's got a motorcycle. He lives on the open road. But isn't there one where it's like Stuart Little? Didn't he live in a shoebox or something like that? Are you looking at me because this is Daddington Corner? Yeah. Well, I mean, Daddington got some really positive response on our Facebook. They did. Um, our demographic. We have to age with our demographic, my friend. You're doing a great job. <laughs> uh, I want to talk to you a little bit. I have a new segment this week. So we're going to do a okay. little bit of news before we get into Watchmen episode okay. four. Yeah. And I, I would, you know, in a perfect world, Kyle, what I think I would do is have Chernobyl music playing over this. Mm. Welcome to Iger Counter. That's so good. Bob Iger. 
in the spotlight. And what I wanted to talk to you about really is uh, the subsummation of FX, a network central to our our text here, man. We've been talking about FX networks for almost as long as we've been doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. We've had members of the FX Brass on our pod before to talk about it. John Landgraf, Nick Grad. Absolutely. Um, And they've made some of our favorite shows over the last seven to 10 years. And now they are essentially being not even folded into the Disney Plus experience as much as being made part of a they are like, it's going to be called FX on Hulu. Mm-hmm. So uh, all of the streaming of FX will happen on Hulu rather than on the FX Plus app, which is uh, something they deb- debuted a little while ago, about a year or two ago. And obviously calls into question, I suppose, the future of, of the network on linear cable, mm-hmm. right? And I wanted to get your thoughts on this because FX has been the quality over quantity mm-hmm. They've been that like on the, the ramparts there saying that, waving that flag while everybody else is like, we're trying to put up 10,000 hours of content like that, you know? Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I think it makes sense for them because quantity over quality, at least initially, has been Bob Iger, head of C- uh, Disney. That's been his rally cry too, that we're gonna we're not looking to make 800 hours of Star Wars, we're, make, we're looking to make the best 12 hours. Well, that became a recent rallying cry. Yes, exactly. I, I would say that was not the original <laughs> rallying cry. lots of people were like, we don't want 800 hours of yeah. Star Wars. Uh, um, first of all, thrilled at the new segment. Yeah. I, I, want I just people, need Jared Harris yelling over this. I, 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 lo- I told you! Pe- <laughs> people should know that I'm learning about this new segment in the moment. Like, mm-hmm. this, is, this is live radio that's not live or radio, but this is really happening. Yeah. And because we're so connected, I actually had some stuff I wanted to talk about regarding Bob Iger and his book. So Iger Counter can just run for Wait, a his book's bit. not called Iger Counter, is it? No, that would have been better. What's it called? Um, boy, I wish I had a good line for this. Uh, I, Tuesdays I, in the Park with Mickey? <laughs> That's good, too. Thanks. Wow, you got another one? No, I'm just, this is what happens when I run late. I'm really just, it's all, it's all improv. <laughs> it's all on the surface. Um, so, okay, let's go to the FX question. So this is really interesting. The thing about FX, it's not just that it is quality over quantity. It's also worth noting that John Landgraf and his team, and we mentioned Nick Rad and Eric Schreier and Gina Bailey has been there for a couple of years. They've basically set out a mandate for themselves, I don't know if there was a decade ago or, or less, to play with the big boys, quote unquote. And in that, in, in that moment, the big boys were really HBO yeah. and the premium channels that could attract movie star talent and be written about by critics rapturously, almost regardless of what they put out, and be in the mix for awards every year. And they've done that Mm -hmm. to a degree that is really remarkable, especially considering not just that they've done it coming from, you know, basic cable, from ad-supported cable, whatever you want to call it, but also doing it with MacGyvering it with sticks and glue with not not that much money to play with much like the Watch Podcast recording from the back alley of the Hollywood studio <laughs> recording break room. on an off-brand <laughs> Ikea table. Um, so I relate. I can relate. What is, do, we, do you think this is like off-brand Ikea? What is off-brand Ikea? I think it's not Scandinavian. Yeah, you right. You know what I mean? It has a name. Yeah. But that name, it <laughs> it's does, whatever, does not like, have two Ks and an Ikea umlaut. is in Thai. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm concerned about putting my coffee on it. Um Right. So the question was, what would happen to this cultivated, curated little unit, boutique mm-hmm. unit within Fox uh, when Disney took it over? Would they appreciate the jewel box that is FX? Would they appreciate the unique, not just programming talents of those people I mentioned, but also their culture 
of developing talent and working the talent. Yeah. So would that mean a larger role for John Landgraf? Would it mean his exit from the company? And what it seems like is a middle ground, right, where FX is certainly being empowered to continue as it had existed before. It certainly seems to be the case. They were just at Comic-Con unveiling the Alex Garland show devs, and there's a bunch of other projects Shogun coming is up. Coming. They have a lot of miniseries. It's, and, they've really... They've, they've invested in that as an idea of, of how to, you know, a limited series. But I think for them, they were trying to eventize yeah. those into the way miniseries used to be. They were at the forefront of that idea, as well as the idea of more serious half hours, two ideas that have revolutionized the TV business mm-hmm. in the last 10 years. So it does seem to be business as usual. The interesting thing was Hulu, which is if Disney owns Hulu and they're buying out all the other companies, what was the role of Hulu as an original programming spot when Disney Plus was about to crash the boards? And... It seems to be right now a middle way. I think they're identif- they're recognizing the fact that a lot of people use Hulu, which again has Emmy award winning content in The Handmaid's Tale and you know, Looking for Alaska. We've been talking about Pen Fifteen, a bunch of really cool projects and shows on its service. Primarily, I think, and I don't have the numbers, is the place that people go to watch reruns of Stumptown or other broadcast sure. material for now. Like, yeah. For now, yeah. So turning Hulu, rebranding it completely as FX Now or FX Max or whatever, probably doesn't make the most sense. Handing its programming reins over to John Landgraf might not make the most sense either because there is a team already at Hulu who's been working on stuff, and he has his hands full doing what he's doing. So it's kind of like splitting the difference, right? They've carved out a piece of Hulu. And from what I understand about it, it means that not only will FX shows go there instead of to their app, which didn't really set the world on fire. Sure. In the short term, that means a lot of shows that weren't their biggest hits because the shows with biggest hits might have streaming secondary streaming deals already in place for other services. Yeah. But if you're looking for the lost Eddie Izzard classic, The Riches, uh-huh. it might be on Hulu yeah. or, or FX on Hulu. I think it also comes with like a put commitment for new programming. So John Landgraf will have a piece of the original programming of Hulu, which I think is also interesting because clearly his people have been wanting to run with the biggest dogs possible and have been hamstrung by you know both the run times and advertising requirements of basic cable, but also the budgets. So does this mean now they have an outlet for the stuff that they couldn't do but wanted to do? Which is exciting, I think, for the industry. Um, For me, one of the main things to watch as we pull back one step further, FX and HBO are valuable brands. And you know I'm all about brand building. Well, it's this what is I've what been I wanted to, to ask do on this podcast yeah. for over over eight years, and with mixed results, judging by my current circumstances. That's a great jacket, by the way. Thanks. See, now he just feels bad about the studio. Have we talked about the the disused golden tea machine? I think we talked about it before on this podcast. Okay. You're, yeah. No free ads <laughs> for potentially not for working arcade cabinets. Um, which is to say, yes, we like and love and talk about HBO and FX programming. But I do think it's worth noting that in a television landscape where everybody's making programming, there's TV shows everywhere and there's too many TV shows, them being marked with HBO or FX still means something. Absolutely. And one of the concerns that we're tracking, concerns, well, not concerns, but one of the points of interest for us as HBO Max takes over um, a lot of the Warner focus next year. Is what happens to HBO as a brand. Exactly. Can you still claim that this is the what gold happens standard. What to the Blois boys? Is it still the gold standard <laughs> when you're also running Big Bang Theory reruns? Sure. The same is probably true of FX. It does seem like they recognize um, I also that I don't think that, that where we're at now is where we're going to be in three or four years. It's so right not. now, I think, I, for all I, for what I understand, HBO and HBO Go and uh, HBO Now are going to continue to exist. FX, I think they're shutting down the streaming service, but FX will still be on your cable box. 
And if you want to watch Transformers movies all day until you get to better things, you can do that, I guess. Mm -hmm. What it will be in three years, what it will be when Disney says, you know what, we're going to consolidate. Who you is know? the person that does that? Who is the person that watches four Transformers movies and segues into better things? For some, I'm, all I'm picturing is Robert Mays. But the... Th <laughs> Like, isn't, isn't he the poster child Maze for that person? He's watching Dark of the Moon for the third time and because then, he's waiting for the new episode of but Better But then things. Better Things. Yeah. I feel like there are people who but can straddle that, both That's exactly worlds. the experience with HBO. I mean, most people turn HBO on Sundays at 8 or Sundays at 9. But for the, the way that HBO kind of like sells mm -hmm. its subscription base for the most part is because you can watch these movies for a flat rate. You know, right. it is essentially the first movie pass is you spend 10, 15 bucks a month and you get hundreds well, of movies and hundreds of hours of original content. Well, I also, as someone who never turns on the TV anymore, basically, uh, just, just to turn it on, mm -hmm. use HBO um, through my Apple TV like I use Netflix. Yes. I, if there's a series, like when I was catching up on the deuce, it was just all there. So I was essentially able to binge it. Yeah. Sometimes if I'm looking for greater entertainment, I will browse its movies or documentaries or comedy series, but then I just turn it on Sunday nights here on the West Coast. At, you know, I, I can watch Watchmen at, when it, after 7 p.m. or at something. At 6.01. You can yeah. watch it as soon as it comes on right. the actual so, channel. So I'm not using it like a TV channel already. No, you're essentially paying a subscription fee for a password. Right. You're paying for a username and a password. God. Just, just like a basic. But um, Listen to the way you're looking at me right now. I do wonder, because right now the, the, I think Disney has been pretty heralded for its coming release. And, you know, we'll have, I'm sure, plenty to say about Mandalorian next week after the first two episodes come out, I think. No app yet, by the way. This is kind of dug from Tidal territory right now. Yeah, but do you think, I think that the idea is it's just going to, like, pop up on your Apple TV or your Roku or whatever, is right? It? I think so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like that, like Doug. I mean, just don't mess this up, bro. Can you imagine Doug's first day at Disney Plus? They're like, you think Doug got a new job? I think Doug, like, probably he, he changed. He, he went low key for a while. Maybe changed his name. He got a job. What if his name's Doug Iger? So he got a little nepotism. <laughs> I love After it. washing out a title. So, and, and going to secondary school for computers. So they are giving him orientation <laughs> yeah. today. And like, just so, um, and here's where you can get lunch. And by the way, the burrito bar on Monday is terrific. So small thing to be aware of. We're launching a $3 billion global streaming service on, I want to say Wednesday. And Doug's got... His shirt, his shirt is out, and yeah. he's just putting oats and honey granola bars in there. It's like, dude, they didn't have these title, man. He's got that was pretty skeleton crew, you it's know. It's not just the K cups; they've yeah. also got like the cold. He's bubble got the water. Keurig in his bag. He's like, "Can I use this overnight? I'll bring it back." So I like to have a cup of coffee before I go to bed. He reuses the K cups because he's not sure how long he's going to be there for. But my point is, it's going to be a long forty-eight. Yeah, my man Doug getting this up and running. Yeah, yeah. No, um, no press. We don't know where to find it. I'm sure we could find out, but we don't know where to find Disney Plus right now. But my point was that yes. crucial week for Disney Plus. And in the coming months and next year, I mm -hmm. think we'll find out, do people want this sort of tiered experience where you can get Disney Plus, which has these very specific pieces of content. And it's got the Marvel, the Pixar, the Disney library, and the Star Wars stuff. And some National Geographic. Plus ESPN, National Geographic. No, no, no. no. But and... out, I think outside of that, Oh, the different tiers the of ESPN it. Plus experience. And then outside of that is the Hulu experience. Now, you can bundle that together for 15 bucks or whatever they're offering that for. Right. But these are different experiences. It's not like you're going to open up Disney Plus, I don't think. I mean, Doug, call in whenever you want. The phones are open. Yeah. But Doug I has think trouble with phones. You can start at the $4.99, like, I just want to watch The Lady and a Tramp a thousand times a day. I feel triggered by that. Or you could be like, I want to watch Lady and the Tramp and, you know, 
LSU Alabama. Right. Or I want to watch Lady and the Tramp, LSU Alabama, and Handmaid's Tale, which is a really funny day if you think about it. That's Should we get Robert Mays, <laughs> American television viewer, on the line? See how he feels about that? That probably sounds like the, the, the day of his life right there. So what's that going to be in eight, nine months? Or Disney, is Disney going to be like, you know what? We got too much going on here. We need to fold this stuff in here. I think ESPN is going to exist separate, but FX is the one that's on the line. Considering that this is a segment, a long-running segment on the podcast known as Iger Counter. Iger Counter. It's worth noting, and so just to, I want to respond to this, but also slightly pivot, which is, you know, Iger put this book out, and there's been quotes pulled from it, and he's been doing press Did and you stuff. find out what the name of it was yet? Absolutely not. Oh, it's like One Last, One Great Ride or something. It sounds like a Larry McMurtry book, <laughs> basically. Some can whistle. It's um, <laughs> not one of his better books, I should say. Wait, is that the one? That's the sequel to uh, All My Friends Are Going to Be Strangers. Okay. Somebody's darling, we both. We like that. Up to a point. Up to, up to, up to almost to the last few pages. We really <laughs> like that. Um, that Iger is the most, in some ways, this is a silly statement to say someone's the most interesting CEO, but I, he probably is because he made a career bet and a company, basically entirely existential company-sized bet on the value of IP. Mm-hmm. When he made the Pixar deal with Steve Jobs, the section of the the section of the Iger book about this is excerpted in this month's Vanity Fair, which is why I read it this weekend because I was staying with people who had issues of Vanity Fair, and I read a magazine with my hands, like an old person. And that's at the moment, anyway, seems like a pretty safe bet because as much as we talk about all the different offerings, and you know, we talked at length about HBO Max and just the sheer volume of stuff that they're going to have, all of which sounds like TV, and a lot of which sounds quite appealing. It's still a trickier sell. It's a tougher conversation. It's not as clear what you're saying to people that you have, as opposed to those Disney Plus ads, which are basically, we have Iron Man, we have Homer Simpson, we have Moana, and we have uh, name a player on LSU or Alabama, because I can't, but we can- Joe Burrow. Absolutely. No. We, can do, we can do all of those things. <laughs> that is a very clear and clean message in an interesting way. And I think that that, if you're thinking about him that way as someone who understands the value of easily translatable brands and the power of that and the stability of that in a moment where this feels like the dam is breaking, all these services are being announced or launching, but it's really the first wave because all of this is going to shake out in the next three or four years. It's a period of great transition. So the fact that he recognizes FX potentially as another value brand to fold in makes a lot of sense. Here's why I hope that FX remains FX in some shape or form Mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future, is that you look at the box office this week and you see second straight week of a tentpole piece of intellectual property kind of flatlining. So Mm -hmm. Dr. Sleep this week, the sequel to The Shining. Mm -hmm. You know, Mike Flanagan is the director who was behind Haunting of Hill House. I'm super into his movies. I just didn't, I honestly was just kind of like, I, would I rather like wait online to go see the marriage story playing in one theater in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. or go to Dr. Sleep? And I was like, to be fair, Chris, Marriage Story is playing in many venues in Los Angeles. Is it? In most of the houses in Los Feliz and Silver Lake. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps as far north as Eagle Rock. I, you know, I did that laugh without explaining it. There was definitely a guy at my Marriage Story screening who was like the Robert De Niro in Cape Fear laugh a couple <laughs> two, in the in the weird parts of Marriage Story. Like, ah, 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 ah. And he was just like, my guy. <laughs> you check it, check his ring. Got finger. a couple apps for th- couples therapy if you want to check it out, man. Just like it's free access. I, I just want you to know, you listeners to know what it's like 
dealing with Chris on a real basis. He te- I texted him yesterday, how you doing? He says he just got out of a screening of Marriage Story. I ask how it was, and I see the dots on my screen. I'm like, well, here comes here comes young young A.O. Scott. He's just going to deliver the the goods. He's a guest, frequent guest on The Big Pick. I feel like he's going to have yeah. something to say. And what appears is a uh, Borat gif of just my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I try, man. I try to use multimedia. My point is the reason why I think I'm I'm betting on FX is because you watch Doctor Sleep kind of flatline. You watch Terminator Dark Fate flatline. I'm sure those movies like at various points had real reasons to exist. And I'm sure maybe like they can figure some stuff out. They're both pretty good. Yeah. And I I, they were both written about fondly in in Mm -hmm. some circles. But I do wonder whether or not there is an arc to this constant reboot, constant reimagining, mm-hmm. constant remixing. We'll talk about this. We've been talking about this a lot because of Watchmen. If you're not going to really bring anything new to the table, or if you're really going to be just servicing what people already love about that thing, I wonder if there is diminishing returns for it. Well, there, and when you the, get into that place, yeah. people like the folks who work at FX who've given us Atlanta and better things and and, and even spent time thinking, what can we do with what we do in the shadows? That yep. would make it really exciting mm-hmm. to watch on a week-to-week basis. They're going to have value. Yes, and they didn't. And FX didn't ever come up, or at least to to date, have not come up with their Game of Thrones or their 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 Walking Dead. No, I think they were. Well, they the, were looking for Walking. They, the they passed on Walking Dead, right? The strain was maybe an attempt to be in that space, yeah. so to speak. But think about what they did do with what they had, which is they didn't invent or or copy the show that everyone else wanted to have, but the show format, like. American Crime Story, American Horror Story, that idea of being in business with someone like Ryan Murphy and giving him these anthology series, mm-hmm. giving him these opportunity to tell stories that can, can that can quote unquote hit every year, meaning yeah. with new marketing, new casts, new ideas, new press cycles, new attention. That's hugely valuable. To your point about IP, I mean, this is a very fearful and uncertain time in the entertainment industry. That's and not the least of which because Burbank is on fire. True. So <laughs> it's existential in a lot of different ways. But it makes sense when people, when you look at the shouts to Sean Fantasy, the big picture of all of this, it makes sense to want to have some modicum of safety. And often safety means something that you already know what it is or yeah. you think people already know what the it is. The floor is but, high enough. Right. But it, it, I don't think it's it's galaxy brain thinking to realize that not not all existing things are equal. So Terminator has not really been a viable thing in people's minds outside of arcades. Since like the 90s. Since the early 90s. Yeah. So the the frenzy to keep making it and keep making it while it keeps failing ought to be awfully instructive. Similarly, people love and revere The Shining. But The Shining, I mean, if you released it today, what would it be? Well, and so the idea of a sequel what? to I it. I think it would, I, I think part of the problem, I I think part of the problem with Dr. Sleep was the way that they sold it. Yes. And the fact that when you see the Rebecca Ferguson character with the weird top hat and you're like, okay, this is a Shining sequel. And then you see that you're like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. And not in a cool way where you're like, I got to go check this out. It's so divorced from the experience I, you had during the Shining that it shows the kind of like tight hallway that you're in when you're making stuff it, like this. Like like at the Overlook. Yes. The tight hallway there. <laughs> you got to well ride that big wheel down the hallway. What I'm saying is to make something on the level of success that would justify the price tag, you need to get people more than horror people or more than shining people involved. And yeah. as everyone who listens to this podcast know, I'm not going to see a horror movie. But I do love and respect and am terrified of still of The Shining. 
So I don't know Mike Flanagan's name as much. When you put him in context, sure. I remember who he is. Yeah. I like Ewan McGregor, all these things. But if you market it to me as someone who should know more than I do, but clearly don't in this particular area, all I see is a knockoff IP sequel. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it might be a good movie unto itself. And what's different from this con- in this conversation from what Bob Iger has done really well is he's not out there peddling a reboot or reimagining of the Simpsons IP or the Marvel Universe IP. It's the Simpsons. It's Marvel. It is the thing. Yeah. You know, it, it's all this reboot mania or whatever. People just watch Friends. They have access to the thing, the core thing now. Right. So you don't need to keep reimagining it because people have access to the thing. People who love the Terminator movies can watch the Terminator. Right. Or T2 Judgment Day. <laughs> That's true. Or the You Could Be Mine video on YouTube by Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Let's uh, take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back to talk about Watchmen. Hey, Google. Set a timer for one minute. Greenwald. Hey, buddy. Um, are you excited for Mandalorian this week? I am excited. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, like, this is the thing is we've been talking about this for years and years and years about how we kind of want a Star Wars thing that's made for us, mm-hmm. right? Not that you and I are underserved members of the society. Finally. <laughs> yeah. Finally. Finally, white guys a- <laughs> over the age of 40 will get what they want. <laughs> but I'm really excited because it just seems like a lot of it tonally is going back to A New Hope. That yeah. grimy, desert planet, samurai conduct type thing. I'm really excited. And it's like they have a really group, good group of directors. So you're, you think you're going to download Disney Plus and, and, and get right after it? I'm very excited to see Gina Carano. Yeah. And Werner Herzog. I was making my 10 best of the decade list. And Haywire is like, it's in the conversation. She's really good. That's a great movie. Yeah. We only got a few seconds left. What's going to make this a satisfying watch for you? I think it already is. It's a Star Wars show. That's all you need? Yeah. What an easy mark. Okay, so one more thing. One more thing in this long-running and hugely popular segment. I can I can see right now, I can see our, our mailbox filling up with postcards from people saying, bring back Iger. Our numbers are soaring right now. Our real-time numbers. I actually don't know we what Kai is looking box. at right I'd now. I'd be curious to see the kind of mail we get. With like... <laughs> mysterious white powders. <laughs> um, so the only other thing I wanted to say about Disney CEO Bob Iger, and there's so much one could say God. about him and his wife, Willow Bay. Remember her from CNN? Yeah. Sure. I do. <laughs> wow. I did not know they were married. That's we, why I'm reacting this way. He, I got to say, in every excerpt of the Bob Iger book that I've read. Have you read a lot of fucking Bob Iger book excerpts? Like, what's going on yeah, with you? Everywhere. I, this is way farther than I thought this was going to go. He definitely has... Something no, this in is common. You were reading Vanity Fair. Is yes. it in Vanity Fair? Yes. Oh. He has something in common with David Benioff, who refers to his wife, comma, Amanda Pete, comma. There's a lot of my my wife, comma, Willow Bay, comma, <laughs> which respects, by the way. Um, he talks a lot about his deep, dear, and close friendship with with Steve Jobs and how um, people probably don't remember this, but Steve Jobs was one of the founders of Pixar and had this incredible run from the late 90s and the early 2000s where both companies that he was the CEO of, Pixar and Apple, were absolutely dominant yeah. in their field all of a sudden. And uh, Disney under uh, Michael Eisner, who preceded uh, Bob Iger, had, he and Steve Jobs had walked away basically saying, Pixar is going to be its own thing. We're not going to be in this distribution deal, which is all they had for yeah. the first Toy Story, Monsters, Inc. movies. Uh, I'm never going to work with Disney again. And so this idea that Bob Iger did the impossible and got Pixar into the fold, and the way he did it wasn't by trying to, um, you know, sort of sweet talk and sort of 
uh, worry the small numbers about a distribution deal. He was just like, "What? I think we should buy you." And Steve Jobs was like, "I like, I like radical ideas. I like big thinking, <laughs> yeah. you know." And so, and then they forged a close friendship. Blah blah blah. One of the things in the book that made headlines when it came out was Iger saying, "I do think that if Steve was still alive, we would have discussed combining our companies again." Apple and Disney. Apple and Disney. And I was, and that that's a very lovely pie-in-the-sky, hypothetical, sliding-doors-what-if thing to say sure. when someone is no longer with us. But I was thinking about it. super inspiring to think about that happening. It's really wonderful. <laughs> it's like us bringing our talents together. <laughs> really. Yeah. I do think it's interesting to think about now that we have a couple weeks of Apple TV Plus and we're in the week where mm-hmm. Disney Plus is about to launch, and thinking about what each service's goals are. First off, I did want to say as a caveat, I've been talking to people who've been keeping up with the morning show. And You've been talking to people who've yeah, been Yeah, I talk up? to people. Okay. I have not. And those people aren't you. Are you talking about reading about it in Vanity Fair? And great. you're imagining these people as your friends? It's a great magazine. <laughs> you know, the Proust questionnaire? It keeps me Radik keeps is me killing going. it. Yeah. Um, just that apparently people are like on board. They say it's gotten a lot better in episodes it, three I, and four. I, it's, it, is, it is a very enjoyable television show. And, you know, it is unfair to judge anything by pilot, of course, but also something that was... So top-heavy and straight-to-series, and uh, Carrie Aaron, who is running the show now, you know, inherited pieces that mm-hmm. from Jay Carson and the previous regime of the show that went into the pilot. And so, obviously, it would take some time to sort itself out, and that's great. That's good for everyone. But just that I keep getting hung up on this fact that you can't compare Apple's goals in the TV space to Warner's and the HBO Max right. or Disney. It's just doesn't seem to be in the same business because they have no content well, library. this is part of Apple's business and it's all of HBO and Warner's business. Yes. Although, and, I think that the the relationship between these content companies with their umbrella company that are essentially telecom mm-hmm. or, or communications companies, mm-hmm. essentially, is not unlike Apple in, in terms of like, Apple views itself as somebody who offers services. Yeah. You know, I'm sure Verizon or, you know, AT&T or Comcast do as well. They're subscription and technology companies. Yeah. And the television shows are enticements. And so there is a version of that where it is a similar relationship. But I can't help but think watching this, this rollout of, of Apple shows and, you know, they have no content library and they're not charging as much as HBO Max plans do, but they're not giving it away either. I can't help but think, were my dear friend Steve Jobs still here, he would have told me that he would have not gotten into this business. Right, streaming. It, 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 well, making your own shows. Didn't he? Wasn't he obsessed with building a better television? You know, you and may, then cleaning up how like to watch it. Your relationship with Steve was its own thing. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt your like little Carrie Bradshaw reverie there, <laughs> where you're like, I couldn't help but wonder. <laughs> maybe the job to be done was for Steve Jobs. <laughs> that was pretty good too. Thanks. How much of that coffee have you had? <laughs> it's not coffee. Wow. <laughs> We're gonna take a quick break and Wait, be right back. No, Wait, I'm oh not God. done. <laughs> the only thing I wanted to say was. Just that that combination of services does would make sense because I think that what Apple is doing, right, is Apple wants to be your home screen and their TV show for all the stuff. They want you to be watching HBO Max and Disney Plus on, and Apple. Yes. on your Apple TV. Yes. And they want Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon's faces and Jason Momoa's to be hanging in the store, Apple stores and right. you know, demos running on all the laptops or whatever. But I think that the idea of being the hub is more valuable to them long-term than being the place that wins all your Emmys. And combining services with a with a absolutely established legacy content mm-hmm. farm like Disney actually weirdly makes sense. 
We'll never know. Or we'll never we know because they could still happen. Tune in Thursday <laughs> for episode two of Iger Counter. Of Iger Counter. Cue <laughs> Chernobyl music. Okay, I'm really done. Let's now. go to a break. We'll be back to talk about Watchmen. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Watchmen. Can't get enough of HBO's Watchmen? Now you can go deeper inside the show critics have called your new TV obsession with the official Watchmen podcast. Hosted by Watchmen executive producer and writer Damon Lendeloff and Craig Mazin, the creator of Chernobyl, the new podcast explores narrative choices, uncovers Easter eggs, and examines the show's connection to the groundbreaking graphic novel and to modern events. A reimagining of a world originally seen in the groundbreaking 1980s graphic novel of the same name, Watchmen, is set in alternate history of present-day America, where the lines between vigilantes and mass crime fighters are blurred, and the only true superhero is nowhere to be found on Earth. Stylized, darkly funny, and profoundly human, the series stars Regina King, Gene Smart, Don Johnson, and Jeremy Irons, and features music from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Watchmen is available on streaming and on demand, and catch new episodes Sundays at 9 p.m. on HBO. Then listen to the official Watchmen podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Today Ticks isn't just for last-minute tickets. You can also buy tickets months in advance, whether you're feeling spontaneous or just want to browse. You know you're getting the best prices when you scoop up tickets on the Today Ticks app. Today Ticks is the easiest way to get theater tickets at the best prices all from your phone. It's so convenient and revolutionary that Forbes magazine calls it the Uber of Broadway tickets. Get to know your own city in a different way or find something to see while you're traveling. Whether you want to see the shows everyone's talking about or discover something completely new, Today Ticks offers tickets for theater, live comedy, dance, opera, immersive theatrical experiences, and more. You'll never know what you find. Guys, little Christmas trip coming up. And I think I might hit up Today Ticks to see if I can get some Oklahoma tickets. Because we've been talking about it so much with Watchmen. Oh, the, the musical Oklahoma. The musical Oklahoma. Right. It's playing in New York City. It's about time you familiarize yourself with the classics. There's something going on in your city and you don't want to miss out. Go to todayticks.com slash the watch and use promo code the watch to get $10 off your first Today Ticks purchase. That's promo code the watch at todayticks.com slash the watch for $10 off your first ticket purchase. Todayticks.com slash the watch. Don't buy my Oklahoma seats though. Okay, Andy, we are back. Watchmen continues to amaze. Do we? I, it's I, I can't. You know, you were talking about how you were really pressing the flesh out uh, out in the streets this week uh, <laughs> with you shaking hands, kissing babies, yeah. and being like, "What are the issues that matter to you?" Mm-hmm. You're running. Mm-hmm. We don't know what for, but it's for something. TV president. I'm running. But you're you're taking the temperature of people and being like, "Oh, yeah, I'm it's coming around on a morning show." What have you heard much of a response about Watchmen? Have you like? I feel like I get. A, a like a select group of people who are like all the way in, mm-hmm. and then a and then a group of people who are like it just doesn't make any sense to me, so I can't watch it. Good question. Um, I think that it is. I think that it is holding. We we used to back when we had segments other than Iger Counter on this podcast. We used to give out the 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 TV championship belt. I mean, technically, who, we the, still do. Yes, we do. Is it, do you do that on Thursdays with I Amanda? I think we give it to Fleabag. Right. And now probably Watchmen. But my point is, right. uh, do I do? there's, there's, 
there are shows that are clearly dominating a certain level of cultural discourse, and whether that means Twitter or whether that means water cooler, actually talking to people or ultimately in awards, sure. But I do think that there's a spot that we don't often talk about, which is the, huh, I'm hearing about that. I might give it a shot mm-hmm. slot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be any number of shows. It could be on FX, it could be Showtime, it could be Netflix. But if you're talking to people who generally have the same TV library accrued of prestige television shows of the last decade— there's always something that they're talking about giving a chance to, and sometimes that doesn't actually pay off, sure. right? And Watchmen seems to be holding that slot right now. So peop- I- I've talked to many people who are interested in it and maybe checked out the pilot. I'll say, for just you know, to just just to unburden myself here over this knockoff <laughs> IKEA table, I love this show. I think this show is is. I didn't think I, I don't I don't think it's the it, there's so much TV now that it's very difficult to be like this thing was the best, and I think it'll be very hard for Fleabag or Mindhunter to get knocked off the pedestal that I put those two mm-hmm. shows on. I'm continually like I don't think that I've been as gripped by a TV show like this in a while, and I know that that might be a very individual experience, but I think that you can really recognize how they've taken the density of the information and figured out a way to deliver it in the most enjoyable, fun, exciting way possible. And surprising. Yeah, yeah. I I love the wildness of the ideas. I love the unconventional rhythm of the show. And I love how deeply, deeply idiosyncratic and personal it is. I really can't help but keep coming back to this point we had a week or two ago, which is, we talk about the big budget IP stuff. We talk about the Marvel movies, and we talk about how you know maybe James Gunn made a kind of personal ver- version of it, and, or Taika Waititi is able to do it. Mm-hmm. Damon is doing the thing that we want more people to do. He has grabbed the. F- <laughs> I'm going to do a really bad analogy here. He's grabbed the secret costume, let's call it, from the closet yeah. of the mansion, and he's running with it. And <laughs> it does feel like. I don't know who else is, how many other people are going to get to do this. And it feels like he snuck this out with the exact right property at the exact right time before the stakes got too high or before the attention got too uh, hot on him. It is, this isn't Alan Moore's Watchmen. Mm -hmm. It is not the last 30 years of superhero adaptations. It is so specifically distinct and personal to what interests him and the way that it's unfolding by starting with a real-life race riot, basically, an anti-black explosion in Oklahoma that truly happened, building it, taking it steps further to a family and to one woman. And then by the time we get to this episode, we're introducing, the last two weeks, we've introduced clearly major players in this storyline, one of whom, uh, Laurie Blake, is directly connected to the original, dare I say, mm-hmm. IP. And with Lady True this week, Hong Chao, fantastic. Um, someone who can't help but be one of the most important players in the few episodes, not few, but five episodes still to come. Yeah, It's confounding world building in ways that we might have come to expect it. It is telling a personal story in a world that we actually don't know in almost reverse order. It's going small to big in the in 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 a way that I find totally compelling and really really surprising. Yeah, it's also still funny. It's so funny. It's like very it, it's got a really good dry sense of humor especially from Gene Smart, but even Regina King gets like really like good dialogue. I, I think that the thing that's been such a joy for me is that in other series, even some 
made by Damon. Mm-hmm. I've often been a little bit frustrated by feeling like the point of the story is to withhold. That the point of the story is to obfuscate and kick the can down the road and be like, you're not ready to know why this is happening. And maybe the characters know. And I think that's always the most frustrating What time is when it's one thing to find out alongside a character what's happening. It's another thing when everybody on the show knows something except for the viewer. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think I reacted to a lot with Westworld is that even Jimmy Simpson's character, you know, we find out that that guy knew a lot more about the show and a lot mm-hmm. about the story. But on Watchmen, I think that we've got a really good avatar in the Regina King character. The things that you, in Sister Knight, you find out things about Angela. You find that things about the world through Angela's eyes, which is really, really great. Mm-hmm. And then even the stuff with... Adrian Veidt, even the stuff with Hong Chao, even the stuff with Gene Smart, the senator, you're just kind of like, I don't care. I trust it. I trust it. And the reason I trust it is because I'm having a good time along the way. If it had just been ponderous and slow and moody and unrelentingly dark, I think you would have just been like, so this is a slog and I don't know what's going on. Yes. But if you're going to drop the synths, if you're going to let Trent out the box... And you're going to have like these little like interesting mm-hmm. like chase sequences where a guy lubes up and slips into a sewer mm-hmm. or a car falls from the sky and Gene Smart starts laughing because it's the punchline to the joke she told. Mm-hmm. Or Adrian starts to slowly explain what he's doing in this piece of paradise that is a prison. Or he's he firing pull- clone bodies into the sky. And pulling newborns out of a lake. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that is like legitimately like he, he, here, here's- that's disturbing and cool. You know, we a moment ago I was talking about how like people in all businesses, but certainly in Hollywood, often see something that is worth responding to and take immediately exactly the wrong lessons from it. And that's like because IP is popular, certain things of IP are popular. All IP is more valuable, and then you end up with five Terminator movies in ten years, right. none of which none of which do well. The thing that Lost wrought was this idea that mysteries are what sell a television show yes. or an entertainment. The f- it's the mystery the, box Abrams the, idea that right. Lindelof Lendl- was like very much like the, you know, the failure to me of something like Westworld is this idea that a confounding mystery is an engine that fuels drama. Mm-hmm. I think that's not true. I think what the triumph of the leftovers and Watchmen is is Lindelof expressing the fact that a confounding mystery is the engine that fuels human existence. Mm-hmm. Every minute. Of our lives, certainly this morning when I walked into this room, this is a confounding mystery. You can't know it, and you can't you can't understand all of it. You can't get your arms around it. Sometimes it's cruel. Sometimes it's capricious. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it feels lucky and fortunate. But mm-hmm. That 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 profound uncertainty and our m- multiplicity of reactions to it is humanity. That's our life, and that's what made leftovers, especially in the, those last two seasons. So phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's so exciting to me about this show is that there are characters that are living in a world where squid falls, interdimensional squid fall from the sky. And then where there's, a, yeah. where there's a blue man living on Mars, where all of these things are possible, mm-hmm. but sometimes you fuck in a closet or sometimes you just, you look at. at sometimes you make waffles. And sometimes yeah. you, and sometimes you laugh. Yeah. And all of that is why the show to me works. And, and I do think, you know, Damon was very Damon-esque in, in, in lowering everyone's expectations and being very vulnerable about things. To me, and your mileage, listeners' mileage on this may vary, but that kind of, that, that 
raw nerve of humanity that is running through the series of risk-taking and failure and that being baked into the show, I think has me in it for the long haul. And Absolutely. it's not even that long a haul, by No, the way. and I also feel like they're still holding themselves to a standard that is almost unsustainable in some ways. I don't know that this show could even go past a, a, one season. I, I, I hope it does, I, or, mm-hmm. or I hope that they tell the story they want to tell. But the level of um, attention and formal uh, wrinkles that they throw, whether it's starting the sound from the next scene while the first the scene is still playing or— You mean pre-lapping? Is that what it's called? <laughs> you know, but it's just like even little things like that or even little things like— Having themes, musical themes yeah. for each character, or having uh, pushing the, thi- the things along a little bit each episode with Vite, so that we're kind of still engaged with that, even though we don't really know how it's going to connect to the central story that we're being told. All those things just engage your brain in a way that so few television shows can actually manage to do. You know, I, I, and I I've said this a couple weeks ago, but like rewatching a bunch of Scorsese movies, and I was in a bar over the la- last week. And it was a very, like, I was in Portland, but it was a very New York experience where, like, sometimes in, you know, like, at library or whatever in New York, we used to, like, just be sitting there and then, you know, Night of the Living Dead would come on or something like that. And it would just be on mute. But Goodfellas came on mute Mm -hmm. at this bar. And I just, like, watched it. You know, in the background, like, while I was sort of, like, looking. Did did Chuck think you were being rude? No, but, like, I was just looking over his shoulder every once in a while and I'd be like, oh, I love that scene. And the thing that you can see is that every scene has life. Every scene is bursting with energy. And it doesn't have to be manic. It doesn't have to be like overdone. It doesn't have to be over stylized. But every scene in Watchmen seems to have a level of consideration and care and creativity well, that it, I just really respond to. Well, that's also what I'm responding to, um, having been through a writer's room now, is thinking about not just the experience and talent that, that Damon has and that he assembled in this room, but there is a sense of time and care put into it. That opening scene with the introduction of Lady True mm-hmm. is a bravura sequence right. from Islands in the Stream playing to the, the the recurrence of eggs to the humor built into the moment when the husband rescues the one egg to the timing and the, the hourglass and everything about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just – it's jaw-dropping in its construction. And, you know, any writer's room in this town – in introducing a character, wants to craft the coolest way to do it possible. And often you might even put on a whiteboard, cool intro, and then try to get back to it and not have time to get back to it. And I'm thinking about, like, the best coaches in the NBA drawing up the perfect play with three seconds left, and then they just execute. That's what that opening felt like to me. You know, I I imagine that there were any number of pitches in the room, and who knows who came up with piece A, piece B, and piece C of it. But in the end— the play was executed perfectly and you get excited and you can get excited about that because it's cool and something falls from the sky and Hong Chao is awesome and looks great. But you can also be excited at the the craft because it was done so, so, so well. And that- What do you, what do you think about in the case of, of this episode specifically, Mm -hmm. but throughout the season, the, the literal (laughs) recurrence of eggs, Easter eggs, I would say, but Mm -hmm. you know, egg, you know, we see when we first meet Angela, she's mixing- Eggs as yep. proteins, like and making the comedians smiley face, and making the comedian smiley face in the first episode, and eggs pop up as a as a e- literal and and sort of figurative. Eggman by throughout. the Beastie Boys plays early yeah. on, and even 
Jeremy Irons' character, like, floating in that lake, picking different, quote-unquote, eggs, Mm -hmm. barely developed fetuses, and throwing them back in the water when he didn't like what he had there. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think that there is an artistic responsibility to explain yourself a little bit more? Or is it self-evident that it's about legacy and whether or not you become extinct unless you leave something behind? It's the best kind of imagery because it could— turn into something literal or it could not, but we're paying attention to it. We're aware of it. It's influencing our thinking. It's not dominating our thinking. I have no desire to go on to Reddit or PDPedia or whatever the thing is and, and search eggs on it because it's it's informing my experience watching the show, but it is not the dominant. It's a bass note. It's not the melody right now. And thought has gone into it, so I trust it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not trying too hard and it's not fading into the background. It seems like it's the right note to play throughout. Just to go back to your point about um, mysteries, I love the fact that this was episode four, mm-hmm. and this was the first time that my mind wandered to a place that maybe others did earlier, which is that, wait, where is he? Where is Adrian Veidt? Mm-hmm. People said he left the planet, or he retired, or, or he's in Argentina. dead. Yeah. Um, clearly, the warden keeping an eye on him uh, is somebody powerful. Clearly, he is not in the Welsh countryside mm-hmm. or in an English manor. Um, the way he keeps sending people up into, quote-unquote, space uh, suggests maybe that's where he is. Has he been imprisoned? Is Dr. Manhattan involved in this? Episode four of nine, for me, is the right place to start wondering about those things. And what made that possible is that for three and a half episodes, I was just entertained. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't worried about it, you know? And that's a very different feeling. There's a, the, there is this idea that, that, that I've talked about on the podcast and when talking about being a TV critic when I last was in 2015, officially, this idea of being someone who's less uh, an arts critic and more like a wealth management consultant, <laughs> being like your your time, which is money, yeah, well, is that's, well spent that's here with the show. That's essentially the job now is how to spend your time. Right. Because you could spend it anywhere. So are you going to you're going to get a return on your investment here? And this is like a, I don't know anything about finance. Do we know anyone who knows stuff about like- well, What are you saying? Is it like a, like, are you saying- It's that a steady a investment. Huge, yes. I'm saying it is it's a- It's a really good, solid mutual fund. I think it is because I feel great about spending time with Jeremy Irons and his strange lake clone people and his, you know, notably steampunk technology that's, that is doing magical things. Um, it's fine. Yeah. I and mean, they've, they've I, actually got this show at a place where- uh, they can have a consistent kind of feel mm-hmm. throughout, but be a detective show mm-hmm. in one scene with like Tim Blake Nelson. We get to see him without the looking glass outfit. And I was just like, let's get the Tim Blake Nelson show going where mm-hmm. he's just like in this bunker <laughs> to conduct an experiments. You can get a domestic comedy drama with Angela and Cal's house. You can get this vaguely supernatural government conspiracy show with Gene Smart, and you can have whatever the fuck is happening in Wales or Argentina or in another dimension with irons. And you can sustain that throughout 47 minutes or 52 minutes or however long those episodes are. So that you can do that is about as hard as, it's as hard of a job as you can do in pop culture right now, I think. And, and you can let Saigons be Saigons. He, he, here, <laughs> here's the other thing. Like, if I, if, if I was to try and articulate a... Uh, an, an ethos or whatever that I'm looking for in TV shows, it's really, I just want to see humanity squeezing out of the cracks. I just want to feel that there's a beating heart there, that there's emotion, there's surprise, there is the, there is some 
dust of human life mm-hmm. here. And it doesn't matter if it is a zombie show or superhero show or a detective show. It could be anything because that's that's the connective tissue in the shows that I'm responding to and that I'm really enjoying right now. And it's what I'm especially valuing as TV slides closer and closer to what the movie business was when we were complaining about the movie business, which is, you know, safer bets, bigger budgets, just bigger and bigger and bigger to try to get people's attention as it's harder and harder to do so. Yeah. And I apologize to all the talented people involved that Westworld has sort of become the the, the punching bag for this for me. But that is – but it – it is the best test case for I this. I think I was thinking about that. I, I, You know what? I actually was fond of parts of the second yeah. season of Westworld. I think the reason why I was thinking about that was because I saw the trailer for the third season, mm-hmm. the one – I don't know what convention they deb- debuted it mm-hmm. at. And it was like we're going back to starting at zero. You have no idea what's happening. There's like a fully formed idea about where this is taking place and what's happening and what the point is. But you, that's that's not for you. That's not for you. Like, we're not going to tell you anything, and mm-hmm. now you're going to have to figure out who Aaron Paul is and what this company is and all this other stuff, which could be cool. You know, it could be it could be an interesting step in the new direction for the show that was kind of trapped in its own arena, you know, its own amusement park boundaries yes. in some, some ways. But I think that sometimes, you know, we often get into the, the, the language of studio executives or basically like, we're like, well, what's the point? Or explain it to me in a sentence. Or we, we get very like kind of consumer based where we're like, I want to know if this is worth it. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that Watchmen is worth it. And I think Watchmen is like kind of alleviating a lot of the stresses about like, explain what the point of that was yeah, to me. Th- I'm like, I don't give a th- shit. Think about that. I mean, yeah. I was going to say that the Westworld seemed to really harp on getting the robots right, but not the people right. And I think that's that's the that's the disconnect for me. But think about how you just set that up. It, it is a totally plausible marketing strategy. I get it. There's a mystery here, and what we're selling here is you trying to f- solve this mystery. It's a, it is a puzzle. That's our show is a puzzle. And you, you compare that to Watchmen, which is such a fundamentally different project, which is saying there were superheroes. This was a thing. Yeah. And you can do the research and read the, the existing book and all the other stuff or not. And it's a very audacious bet to say, we're going to make a compelling TV show, show for you that is not dependent on you figuring that stuff out. You're going to watch these characters go through this world. And so far, they're doing it. And I think in that respect, Watchmen is the perfect IP for a project like that because Watchmen was, in many ways, or at least is considered to be, the first comic book that was more interested in the people underneath the masks and what made them tick. And, it, and, it, and speak like, and it's like what Laurie Blake talks about, or Petey explains on behalf of Laurie last night about what's your trauma, what's your pain, why did you put on the mask, what are you hiding underneath it? Um, and it does feel relevant. It feels it, relevant to think about a world in which it's clearly a very, very polarized country. Mm-hmm. It feels relevant to think about a place in which a lot of people have very little faith in the institutions around them. It feels very relevant to think about an apocalyptic feeling running through the populace, but not necessarily responding to that apocalyptic feeling with doing something about it, but just sort of accepting that squid fall from the sky. Mm -hmm. We're living out in California. We just sort of now accept that fires are like a daily part Mm -hmm. of our life. It feels relevant to see a character like Lady True and be like, you know what? I could kind of see one of the like the, the world conquering billionaires, trillionaires of trillionaires. She very mm-hmm. specifically says, deciding that they're going to build something in the middle of nowhere, and us all being like, "I wonder what that's going about." You know what I mean? Like not actually like participating in our own place in history. And so, even though there's a lot of things happening in this show that feel very different from the world we live in, I actually find it to be pretty relatable. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah, and I and I think that this might not be as remarked upon, and it might not be, um, and some and some people might uh, be resistant to it or feel like it's 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 clumsy. I feel quite the opposite. If the original comic book showed Rorschach lifting his mask and eating a tin of beans and going to see the comedian or Adrian Veidt, and the reality of two people talking as opposed to two super heroic people punching or teaming up or whatever, that mm-hmm. felt kind of radical. There's a moment in the fourth episode that is equally noteworthy where uh, the three women, one older white woman and two women of color, have the summit to talk about how things are going to be. And it's very intentional that that Petey, who is, you know, comic relief and a side character, right he has a square jaw. He's a white guy. He looks like someone who might have starred in a Zack Snyder movie 10 years ago. He's told to wait in the car. And these women who, you know, again, they are fully realized characters played by brilliant actors, but they are also, and I think Damon is aware of this, and I think viewers in 2019 are aware of it, are in some ways representing not superheroes, but the mantles of of often marginalized figures in our entertainment, not to mention in our world, are having the summit to talk about it. Yeah. And I, as a, not just as someone who is, you know, running for president, but just someone who likes exciting stories at this day and age. I, I really responded to that and found it thrilling. I did too. Uh, we'll be back. Are you going to maybe call in on Thursday? You put me on the record here. What I mean, to talk to you and Amanda or what? What's the what's the plan for Thursday? Uh, Andy will definitely be back next Monday. We'll probably I'll be, be talking about Mandalorian, right? I'll be here Thursday if, if there's room for me. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I think we'll see. I'll, I'll check my schedule. I think Kai is looking at ZipRecruiter, looking for applicants <laughs> for co-host job right now. Uh, she should be looking at Redfin to find us more space. Amen. No free ads. No free ads. Thanks for listening, guys. Great job, Brainskies. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Watchmen. Can't get enough of HBO's Watchmen? Now you can go deeper inside the critically acclaimed new series with the official Watchmen podcast. Hosted by Watchmen executive producer and writer Damon Lindelof and Craig Mazin, the creator of Chernobyl, the new podcast explores narrative choices, uncovers Easter eggs, and examines the show's connection to the groundbreaking graphic novel. Stream Watchmen now and catch new episodes Sundays at 9 p.m. only on HBO. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Navy Federal. Navy Federal is proud to serve over 8 million members, including active duty military, the DOD, veterans, and their families. You'll receive a lifetime of membership benefits with Navy Federal, and you can easily access accounts, transfer money, pay bills, and deposit checks with the Navy Federal mobile app. Visit NavyFederal.org watch for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app. Message and data rates may apply.